one thing that uh, Kitty Hawk told me, Neil, is she has she still has her copy of Street Fighter the movie the game. Yes, because I got this. I have I got it at GameStop because a guy brought in a bunch of Dreamcast games. (laughs) And uh, what happened is is he uh, he was trading them in, and I got to that one. I said, "This is a Saturn game, dude." He went, "You can chunk that," and I was like, "No, this is going home into my Saturn." Because <laughs> I had to have it. I got it. That, that game is so horrible. It is but, absolutely wretched. But there is one saving grace to that, and I, I put it in the in last week's post. Yes, you did. Yes. Yes, yes, I saw that. That was. I I can't help it. <laughs> well, I mean, those were some good legs. Those were some yeah. good legs. So you guys were talking about the Muppets earlier, and. I agree with Kitty Hawk is that I I have a tough time accepting the Muppets without Jim Henson. You're just afraid that the Beautiful Day monster won't have his gun anymore. No, it's not just that. It's that <sighs> Jim Henson had had. These I have a lot of feelings about this, so yeah. I'm 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 glad that this got brought up. The thing is, we were talking about uh, uh, Kermit singing Rainbow Connection. I'm like, well, yeah, but it's not it's not. It's not what it was in the Muppet movie. It's this other guy impersonating Jim Henson yeah. singing the song, and it's like it doesn't convey the same emotion for me. Yeah, it's, well, it's, like, an, it's like an Elvis impersonator. Yeah, I put up a video on on Facebook this week that was uh, one of the earliest Tonight Show appearances by Jim Henson, and he actually had a Muppet drunk on whiskey. Yeah, <laughs> but the fact that he was drunk was not the point. It was just if you listen to the singing, Jim Henson had this like really gentle, beautiful voice, and. That's gone now, and it, no impersonator yeah. can bring that yeah. back. Well, it's uh, also just the writing, too. Like, if you think about it, like, he's yeah. not there anymore. And, like, usually when the creator goes, yeah. in very few cases does it actually, is it good? Like, Katamari, for instance. Yeah, I have a I have a lot of feelings about the Muppet movie. The, uh, yeah. All the stuff that I've read, I read the Entertainment Weekly article a little bit, but I've I've also read you know about what uh, about Frank Oz's thoughts about it and um, well, you so know what's, what's, it, yeah. what's he think what's he think uh, he wants no part of it because he he thinks that um, they're not respecting the characters. Well, you know what I say about that, Frank Oz. Mm-hmm. Frank Oz, you're the guy that praised them removing the Yoda puppet. Frank, sorry, man. No, but well, seriously, no, 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 no. no. I, actually, there, there, I will say. He probably was like, don't have to hold my hand up like that the whole time. Thank you. No, they, they went back. They went back into episode one and removed the oh, other. Oh, so he liked that? He, he said that was a good idea. Oh, maybe they paid him a lot of money. Well, a, bro- a broken <laughs> clock is right twice a day. But seriously, yeah. mm-hmm. fart shoes? Come on. The minute I heard fart shoes, I was like, uh, this is dead in the water. Oh, yeah. no. No deal. But I can go even worse here. Did anyone happen to catch the Muppets on WWE Monday Night Raw? No. I, yes. I heard about that. I did. I didn't see that. I did. I oh watched my the whole god. Game. Oh god, how was it? It was, it was... I, I you know, I just <laughs> I I don't I don't know. It's just it's one of those things. I mean, wrestling on its own is weird and campy and cheesy. And then you and then you throw the Muppets into that and then it just becomes like a fucking ambient dream. Well, I, I love how I love how uh, JT put it when we were talking about uh, wrestling was in the in the 80s wrestling was like a cartoon in the 90s and onward it's like a soap opera. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it always has Now it's story. now it's weird. It's just weird. Basically to me this movie is just Jason Siegel 
masturbating in front of a full-length mirror mm-hmm. with Kermit the Frog beside him. Talking about filming, how great his strokes are? And and filming it the entire time. That's the whole movie. Well, speaking of the Muppets, I think I know why this guy put himself in here. Because it's meta. It's like supposed to be like the show. Like It's like the behind the scenes is part of the movie. See? Cool. Yeah, probably. You're probably right. But, but I, I, I actually have another theory. I think it's just that he's so in love with himself. Well, it's that's yeah, there's a little of that. And also and, there's credits. He gets he gets credits for that. This is just terrible. I'm looking at I'm like, this is just terrible. So why did they think this was going to be a good idea? Because Hollywood doesn't know what people want. Well, I mean, they're, oh, wait, 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 wait. I just remembered. Battleship the movie. That says it all. What? <laughs> Have you not seen Battleship the movie? You didn't, you know, didn't know about that? No. I'm, yeah. getting this, I'm getting you the trailer like as hard as I can. And Le- Liam Neeson's in it. So Darkman is in this movie. Also, isn't um, Rihanna in it? Yeah, the, she's in there too. She's R- R- Rihanna, the Fleetwood Mac song? Ah, no, that's uh, Rihanna. Uh. Rihanna, the girl, isn't that the girl got beaten up or something? Yeah, unfortunately, yes. Yeah, that was her. And then she was like, he didn't mean it. And like, I was like, okay, I'm not, I, I. Is is this a trailer for like the the board game? I think she recanted that, so I'm not. Oh, well, that's good. Eventually. But but is this, is this based off of the board game? Yeah. Yes. You're you're fucked with me. No. Oh, 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 oh. No. No, I'm not. No, I haven't seen this whole thing yet. But at any point in this trailer, does anyone say, you've sunk in my battleship? Yes. The Webcast Beacon Network has been covering and promoting creativity and the creative process since 2007, starting with the Webcomic Beacon, a topical webcomics podcast with a jovial bunch of misfits like your local morning radio show. Also, the Webcomic Beacon Newscast recaps, reviews, and discussions of community and industry news relative to comic creators, especially of digital distribution. Also, the Tropecast, the ever-tangential discussion of literary and visual media memes. And finally, Web Fiction World. Before webcomics, there was independent and self-published web-release written fiction and literature. Find this all at webcastbeacon.com. Be sure to grab a master RSS feed or master iTunes feed and not miss a thing. Welcome again to Animation Aficionados. Uh, We are doing a special episode, Neil's Top 10 Animated Movies. Yes. I am your host, Ben, and we're joined by my co-host, Tease Mr. Neal. Now that you know who I am, look out. <laughs> and we have with us our favorite guest, Kitty Hawk. Oh, hey, thank you. Uh, hey. Go read SGBY.com. And Stephanie O'Donnell joins us once again. Buy my drawings, suckers. <laughs> <laughs> Precious Roy. And uh, Neil, since you are the captain of this vessel, I will let you steer this tugboat. Uh, oh, God, you had to say that. Aww. Well, let's not even talk about that this week. Um, okay. <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, yeah, we had this planned, uh, I don't know, maybe like a couple months into the show, and it just kept getting moved back and moved back, and then we finally did it, and then it got it got deleted. Oh. Um, yeah, so we got everyone back. We're doing it again. Um, I want to start out, start out with some honorable mentions, because I am like a big animation movie fan, and I... I have so many movies that I'd put on this list, you know, if I wasn't limited to just ten. But uh, the first, the first couple uh, films I wanted to put on here, I, I'm basically going to do them both at once because 
Uh, I have not actually seen these movies all the way through, but uh, I've seen bits and pieces of them, and they're just gorgeous. One is Royal Space Force, The Wings of Oniamis, and the other one is Macross, Do You Remember Love? Mm. And Beautiful animation in that yeah, one. Gorgeous yeah, gorgeous and great music. I really want to see The Wings of Oniamis. I know nothing about it. Uh, do you remember Love? If you, you could take the space battle scene in Return of the Jedi and just imagine this with like the best anime space battle animation ever, and that's what it is. It's just it's unbelievable that they did this with cell animation. Yeah, it, it really is some of the most beautiful animation I've seen and uh, It's crazy stupid. Even even the violent decapitation during Minmay Song <laughs> is, is beautifully animated. God damn it. <laughs> and what's so frustrating about this is that Carl Masick tried to get this movie. He wanted to make a Robotech movie, and they couldn't get it. So they they took Megazone 2-3 Part 1 and spliced it together with some Southern Cross footage and called it Robotech the Movie, and it is one of the most wretched things ever made. <laughs> so wretched that, that Carl Masick himself disowned it. So give the man a break. Alan Smithy did. Yeah. But it, anyway, I love the way Carl Masick tells the story about this movie, because... Originally, it was just going to be Megazone 2-3 translated into the Rotec continuity, and and they were being distributed by Canon Pictures, and Canon was like, you know, there's way too much relationship crap in this movie. Put in some action, and that's how Southern Cross got got shoved in there, and they they put in a bunch of space battle scenes that didn't make any sense, and and <laughs> of course of course the guys at Canon saw it, and they're like, no, you've got a Canon movie, and they test marketed it, and I guess it did okay, but it uh, one thing led to another, and it never officially got released. So it's just out there on VHS somewhere in foreign markets, <laughs> and it's not very good. So don't even bother watching it. It really should have been "Do You Remember Love" all along, but they just couldn't get it. So um, because I have not seen this movie in any real sense on a technicality, I can't put it on the list. So moving on. Uh, the next movie on my honorable mentions list is Transformers the movie, but we already talked oh. about that a couple episodes ago, so I don't really have much to say until we it's do the awesome. commentary. Yeah, it's it's Toei animation at its best, and it was really the last time we got to see good Toei animation in the States. <laughs> and you have some awesome mo- music by Vince DiCola, and one song that was originally written for the movie uh, Coco. You got the touch! Yes. I love that song. And for some reason, it was used in Boogie Nights. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's Dan Bush didn't even know about that. Oh, man. Yeah. And then and then the theme song, Transformers by Lions. Yeah. Now, the main reason why this is not on my list is because this movie was made for a generation that's now in its 30s. So newer audiences really won't have the context for it, like the stuff that's actually on my list. So... Transformers the movie is awesome, but it's out. Now, next on my list, I'm just going to put these next two together because they're both they're they're both animated films, but they're really technically special effects films. And once you start putting special effects films on a top 10 animated list, then you know, pretty much anything can make this list at that point. So, I'm just going to preemptively kick them off for that reason. Uh, one is Who Framed Roger Rabbit, yes. and that's a big one because it brought it brought the old style of animation back because we had big dark ages in the eighties. Mm-hmm. 
and you have you have a Disney animator sitting next to a Warner Brothers animator at the same <laughs> table, and I imagine that there were lawyers standing behind both of them, and they were making sure they didn't weren't talking to each other. No, no, I'm sure they were actually more like, "Yes, this is gonna be awesome." I, I know, but but it, you know, Warner Brothers and Disney, the actual hand animator. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But working. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that the lawyers were kind of hesitant, but the. Uh, the, the animators were like, yeah, this is going to be oh. awesome. I love Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's one of my favorite animated movies. I mean, where else are you going to see Daffy Duck and Donald Duck duel against each other? Yeah, the way they got the Warner characters in there was that uh, Bugs had to be on the screen an equal amount of time as, as Mickey Mouse. So. Down to the frame. Yeah. And so every time you see Bugs Bunny, you see Mickey Mouse, and that was the way they controlled that. And there, there was also a little itty bitty uh, panty shot that they painted over later on, and we re- really. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that yeah, you you couldn't even see if if not for like an animator telling you, oh, if you look here, you'll see where we drew uh, Jessica Rabbit's. Yeah, no. Yeah. If, if they if the animator just shut up, you wouldn't have known. Yeah. yeah, but you know he's got to brag. I mean, all the Disney animators brag about. Oh, I hid this in. <laughs> Well, there was that one panel of the naked woman in the rescuers. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, who was the actor in that movie? Um, Mario? He was. He was Mario. Yeah. Yeah, Mario. Yeah, that that doesn't help. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know who you're talking about. He, why? But... Why do I blank? He's he's, a, he's actually a British actor, but he does a New Yorker accent so well. Yeah, but when when he's acting with uh, with Roger Rabbit, obviously Roger's not there in the in with Bob Hoskins. Shoot. Well, yeah, Bob Hoskins. Hoskins. That's it. Yeah. Whenever he's looking at, at Roger, he 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 knew to focus his eyes at something that didn't exist. Because well, they they actually had eyes. They had yeah. eyes. Yeah. Well, well, what I mean is that I've seen a lot of of uh, productions where they they put cartoon characters in the real world, right. and you could tell that the actors are just looking right through the characters. Oh yeah. Uh, Bob Hoskins looked like he was looking right at Roger. Like, yeah. All the time. And well, well, part of that was is that they, the the uh, well, one the director was really good, but also that they they used a lot of like cue stuff, like eyes and hands, and, and they things actually like had that. the rubber Roger Rabbit they they dropped from the ceiling sometimes to give a good point yeah. of reference. And yeah. another thing is, you give a good good thing, you know, this was this was Zemeckis's strength as a filmmaker. Um, mm-hmm. And unlike, say, another director who says, you talk to the tennis ball, and then the actor turns and says, which one? Yeah. Like, like, or, They're or all your... tennis balls. Anyway, my last honorable mention is, of course, the original King Kong. And this would be on the list, if not for the fact that it was mostly a live-action movie. And if I opened up the list to this, then I also have to open it up to, uh, to like, Jurassic Park and movies like that. So yeah. I had to leave it off. But uh, I love the animation of this movie. Because this is 1933, and they're doing they're doing shit that has, was never done before, and for decades after it was not done since. the The biggest scene in the movie is the fight between King Kong and the T Rex, and if you think about the fact that was done with stop motion, that scene is amazing. I know. What, what I love is what I love is the the work on that is so fantastic that when they re released the original King Kong as an extra feature, you have you have Peter Jackson, with all this high-tech CG, recreated a lost scene from, yeah. from the movie that was scripted as stop motion. Yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. Peter fucking Jackson paid tribute by doing it the old way. 
Yep. Oh, yeah, did and he, really. Yeah. And then he still made that movie with, well, with CGI. Well, well, because it was like once again, it was cheaper. And I know, yeah. but but just the fact that he 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 rolled up his sleeves and did it the old way just once. And modern film out here just doing that 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 still says something, Neil. I yeah. I, I yeah. know. And the way they got the the uh, the roars from the from the was it a Triceratops or a Styracosaur? I don't remember, but yeah. uh, the way they got the roars was they slowed down the screams of Fay Ray, and it's hilarious because <laughs> <laughs> the thing's going, and then you speed it up, and it's Fay. <laughs> That's excellent. It was Beauty who killed the beast. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that movie had such a charm that that neither of the two remakes really captured. And uh, the second I, I, one at least made an honest attempt at capturing it versus yeah. the first remake, which was a pile. Yeah, I mean, there's the only thing on the island is a fucking giant snake, and it's a bad snake. <laughs> Otherwise, it's the 70s version? Yeah. Yeah, it's like King Kong and the snake are the only thing on this island, and you have this evil oil tycoon who's like he's trying to he's trying to he's trying to get oil off the island and he, he discovers that the oil is so good so he's trying to track King Kong and he's got this he's got this like King Kong radar on the boat and it looks like it looks like they're tracking it looks like they're tracking Donkey Kong that's what it looks like on the screen <laughs> it's like it's like it's like Captain we we found the cement factory level get me quarters. <laughs> <laughs> okay, they have to get Steve Weeby to go against them now. <laughs> Call Steve Weeby. Yeah. yeah, Billy Mitchell's Dr. too busy. Chan. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> Billy Mitchell's too busy getting his hair just right. <laughs> oh god. But yeah, we we may have to do an episode about King Kong someday. Ooh, King Kong. I'd love I'll totally I'll totally do that. Are we but, done with uh, the honorable mentions? Thing? Yeah, we're done with the honorable mentions. They're all good. They're all good. Who can we call okay, number 10 is I Go Pogo. And this is... Mm, I I think I kind of shot this on the list just to give it a little more uh, exposure because not many people know about this film. You, of course, are talking about the 1980 uh, Pogo for President, correct? Yes. Okay, because uh, as some people might not know, there was an earlier birthday special by Chuck Jones in yeah. 1969. Oh, yeah. That's good, too. Well, it's Chuck Jones. Well, how can it not be good? So we're talking about I Go Pogo, Pogo for President, and the original cut of the movie might actually be a lost film. Except you have it. No, I do not have the original version. I have the verse, the cut that they made for TV. There is no original version. Does anyone have, like, the film or anything? Uh, someone might have the film. That's why I yeah. say it might be lost. Uh, but nobody knows for sure. The original film was showed, I think, once at a private screening. It was originally supposed to get this huge theatrical release, and they canned it and put it on HBO. And the HBO cut chopped up the movie a bit, and they added a narrator that kind of kind of ruins the flow of the movie because he's explaining things. And I, I don't like it when, when you have a narrator explaining things when it's perfectly obvious. He was from, eating a sandwich. Yeah, when it's so perfectly they, obvious so from the animation. So they did it, like, trapped in the closet? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the thing, is, the thing is, the animation is so good on this that you, you don't need... This isn't, like, like art cloaky. This is really good stop-motion animation. And... Uh, there was no need to have this telling you like what's going on because it was perfectly obvious. Um, Vincent Price, man, Vincent yeah, Price. Yeah, the the people who are in this movie, Vincent Price, Jonathan Winters. Um, 
Arnold Sting was in this movie. Wow. Crickets chirping. He was the Honey Nut Cheerios bee for the 80s. Oh, okay. That guy. And yeah. I, he was Pop Cat. Oh, and by the way, just a little I saw that. Mention Top Cat. I saw that. Let me tell you. I saw that. Top Cat is fucking huge in Latin America. I just found this out a few days ago. So huge that Warner Brothers greenlit a a Latin America only Top Cat feature film. You broke my husband's brain with that, by the way. That's awesome. Because, like, I I mean, I I was like, you know, I knew about Marsupilami in France, but, like, Top Cat. Seriously? Top Cat is fucking huge in Latin America. Anyways, uh, with uh, with I Go Pogo, I, I can understand the, the love for this. And uh, actually, funny thing is, I Go Pogo ties into a little discussion I had a few days ago, actually a few weeks ago with uh, Paul Dini. Mm. Man. When uh, I, I asked Paul Dini a couple weeks ago, you know, hey, Paul, is a... Uh, I asked him this on Twitter, so you can all look this up. I said, hey, Paul, can the comic books... Con- be considered, uh, uh, you know, you know, market the what was it the, you know, loss leaders. Yeah. And he said, "Well, not really, but at the same time, they, uh, they, uh, if it wasn't for comics continually being published, the, uh, the the knowledge of the brand won't be out because after I go Pogo stopped being published, people forgot about it pretty quick. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, but they are loss leaders. Sorry. I mean, they they're there just to be fodder for movies. I mean, and, and for people bullshit. that don't know the economic theory of a loss leader, it's basically a supermarket has eggs and and yeah. milk there, and eggs is like thirty three cents a carton, and milk is like eighty nine cents a, a a bottle. But yeah. well, they're losing money on that. But you go in and you buy you buy a slab of bacon for six bucks, and it costs them like a buck. Yeah, yeah. So, so you have like milk is usually the one that they don't actually do loss leading on. They usually jack well, up the price on that one. Well, anyway. milk and eggs is the example I always use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it definitely comics at this point they are unfortunately well they're not really a loss. I wouldn't call them a loss leader. I think I think they're mostly just there because they want to have some legitimacy when they say, well, it's based on a comic book. Right. Yeah. But anyway. But yeah, it's a. I just had to tie that in because Paul Dini used Pogo as the example of you know oh, yeah. brand recognition I mean, once it stops being published. Little, little Abner. I mean, Little Abner was big with with the schmooze and all that. And you ask anyone what a schmoo is these days, and they're like, "What?" They'll think it's that thing that hung out with Fred and Barney. Oh. Yeah, yeah. They'll think it's that. Wasn't and that kazoo? Oh. No, no, they did. The white, it's a white, it's a white thing, and all they want to do is make you happy. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking of Kazoo, the uh, great. Oh, Gazoo, 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 oh. yeah. Gazoo, Gazoo, the great Kazoo. Pardon me, it's a. Yeah, that was in the original series. Later, they actually had a show called Fred and Barney Meet the Meet the Schmoo, and bullshit. Yeah. Yes, yes, they did. I actually have seen this, and yeah. I, I was like, "What the hell?" Because I knew about Little Abner, so it was like, "What." Uh, Saturday morning in in the eighties was the trip, Ben. Yeah, if you ever <laughs> want to read, yeah, it was pretty freaky. Yeah, especially the early eighties. But just... if you really want to read a really cool, like, uh, kind of anti-capitalist story, the Schmoo story is pretty cool. And on, uh... that, and on that note, we go to number nine, Neil. Well, actually, let me wrap up really quick. Um, okay, they're they're trying to put this out on DVD. I hope they have the original cut. If not, the the HBO cut will do. It's just. I'd, I'd like to see what what they had originally intended. 
Uh, unfortunately, there aren't many clips of it on YouTube, and what there is doesn't really do it justice. It's yeah. really well animated. I, God, I wish this this movie would uh, come back. But yeah, moving on to number nine, which is. Comes home. My personal favorite. This might be the closest thing to an art house choice on this list, but god damn it, I just can't help it. Well, you know what? This really isn't an art house choice because there's no pans on on dogs. And... Well, I mean, it is kind of art housey. I mean, it is sort of like in line with what was going on. Like, there are some trippy it, effects yeah. in the movie. Yeah. I mean, it is very. It, what was it made? It was like in the 70s, and there was some really trippy animation going on at that point. It also yeah, remember. Remi- like- you know what reminds me of? What? What? Go ahead. No, well, remind- no, remember the thing where like they're sleeping and then like they it's like they're astral projecting. And- yeah, yeah. But you know what the animation reminds me of? It reminds me of those experimental Tezuka stuff that he did, like Tezuka did in the sixties. Uh, like the animation style reminds me a lot of that. Like especially like the buildings and such like that. One big so, memory yeah. I have of this is when Snoopy goes out. You know, when he, when he's moving, he wears his his food bowl on his head like a hat. Yeah, <laughs> And I also remember, no dogs allowed. And that was that was Thurl Ravenscroft who sang that, who was Tony the Tiger. Well, that's great. Yeah, and that's he was. Great. He also sung uh, the songs in the How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Oh, he's a mean one, that Mister Grinch. Yeah. <laughs> The reason I call this uh, call this kind of an art house choice because it's it's so experimental and yet it did nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but like when it originally came out, it was just panned, and now and now it's yeah. kind of found its audience. But well, uh, I mean, it's kind of disjointed and kind of the yeah. message is kind of weird. And, yeah, and it's, it's, the message it's, the message very... actually is almost an allegory for you know you know divorce. Because you have Snoopy's original owner, who's at the hospital, and needs you know Snoopy decides to uh, to uh, to essentially it's a, he he does leave with a party and everything, but he decides to essentially abandon Charlie Brown, and Charlie Brown, of course, as we know, is the butt monkey of the universe. Yeah. <laughs> he uh, and uh, and so you know Snoopy abandons Charlie Brown to see, to to be with her again. But well, you're skipping over one part is that. Before he, before any of this happens, uh, she's in the hospital and she writes the letter to Snoopy, and that scene has this haunting song with this oh, yeah. beautiful singer. Yeah, I love it. That's another thing is the music is nothing like any of the other. No, not uh, at all. Versions. In fact, this is the only one that does not have that, that it's piano thing. It's very emotionally charged. Yeah. Well, the and other it, the other Peanuts uh, movies, animated movies and specials had a much more had like I said much more childlike quality to it that that yeah. was 
that was more honest to a child in, in, in that innocent sort of way. Well, this one was was more like, like I said, it's almost like an allegory for divorce and thinking well, about well, the time when this was made. How much did Schultz have to do with this movie is really the question. Because, like, it I might don't. have been, like, his, he tended to be dark in his own way. Yeah. Yeah. But it was always kind of funny. You always kind of, you always had a, a little bit of a giggle every time, uh, uh, Charlie Brown would get his would fail, but this one, this cartoon just rips your heart out at every every opportunity it has. Well, one oh thing my to god, it, mind, was written, it was actually written by Schultz himself. Well, one thing to keep was, in mind is is Schultz, you know, Charles Schultz is Charlie Brown. I mean, yeah. because he did know a little redhead girl that he wanted to date, and yeah. all these, you know, like I said, he, you know. Charlie Brown was the outlet for him to put all his frustration of him being the butt monkey of the universe and actually getting paid for it. Well, it, it, yeah, and I think it made maybe it has something to do with like what Schultz was kind of going through with like peanuts. Like Snoopy, Snoopy was kind of out of his hands by that point. Yeah, Snoopy was becoming like a global mascot at this time, and he wanted to tell a story about you know him losing Snoopy. Yeah, and that that's what I think this is. I think this really is just a a story about. How he kind of lost Snoopy, and because like, you know, he never wanted it to be called Peanuts, but it was forced on him because he couldn't use his original title, Little Folks, because it had already been used by like two other strips, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and so he, that's why this, that's why the Sunday cartoons always said the uh, good old Charlie Brown or Snoopy and Friends, and never said Peanuts until much later. Until yeah. much later, when he kind of was getting towards, you know, I just want to make money for my family. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I understand, you know, you want to make sure your family's okay. And, you know, I read a lot of the old classic strips and those strips got pretty dark because I remember the one where Snoopy they was were going fucking to mean. There was one where Snoopy was going to die because of an icicle hanging over his doghouse. Uh, <laughs> well, that that wow. was actually how cartoons were back then. Like cartoons used to be a lot meaner. I mean, there's a bunch of I mean, I mean, Schultz this deadly like it looked like a one ton icicle just hanging right over Snoopy's doghouse and Snoopy couldn't move ah, around. Just a flesh wound. Just it, a flesh it, wound. The way that they, they coaxed Snoopy out of the doghouse was they ordered a pizza. And the and, and the smell of the pizza had Snoopy rush out of the doghouse and then the right then was when the icicle fell and smashed the doghouse to Yeah. Yeah. Well I mean Schultz was pretty dark. <laughs> I mean I was just waiting for that one strip where, where Charlie Brown kicked Lucy in the head instead of the, trying to go for the football. Well, that never. Well, no, because Charlie Brown always has to lose. Otherwise, the series was over. That's true. And he they didn't even did. win in the end. Well, he did get a he did get a date with the red haired girl, and he did become friends with her. So, in a sense, he, you know, they kind of ended happily. And it was very prof- prophetic of when he ended it because, like, a week later, he died. Well, yeah, you know, like, so like just like Andy Rooney, isn't that crazy? I, yeah. I know. Like, well, I think he knew. I think both of them knew. And also, Steve Jobs. Think about it. He steps down, and then he dies a month later, right after yeah. the four of us is introduced. I mean, it really all three of them. It was like they worked, and then oh, and Bear Bryant, he died within six months of retiring. So, don't but, retire. But, but with with, with Schultz, it was Schultz. It was dates. Dates. Yes, he died before the last Sunday strip went up. Yeah. 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 That's what's that's what's so creepy about it. That's yeah. days. 
I know. It's like, and then like Steve Jobs day, died the day after 4S came out. That's why I say that he he became Siri. Yeah, he, he uploaded requests, himself. He ignores your requests once once the server goes down. Yes. Well, I mean, he's, and he he's drains thinking... your he drains your battery. Yes, we, Well, we all... I mean, jo- can you take jobs? Could you take jobs? No, I do not think so. Come on. Anyway, going on about this Snoopy. And uh, yeah. what I loved was, you know, Snoopy gave away all his things. Yeah, he comes back and and he has they they throw this big going away party and he gives away all his shit and. He goes to live with the with the girl, and then they walk into the uh, into the apartment building, and the sign says "No dogs allowed." And suddenly the movie brightens up, and of course he has to get, do the sad goodbye to her. But he he runs home, and everyone's really happy to see him. And then and then the movie just kicks you in the ass because he demands all his shit back. <laughs> and then it's it's back to being peanuts. He's Snoopy. He's like he's a he's a jerk. Well, this this is this is what Neil calls the the golden age of peanuts because Neil thinks peanuts as a franchise jumped the shark when who showed up again? Uh rerun. Oh yeah, re- rerun. Yeah, it's oh, like man, I, why, why are there two Linuses? Oh, I, I'm looking at like why Schultz changed the music for this movie. He apparently wanted to have more of a commercial Disney feel to it, but then he regretted it because uh, Garaldi actually died before he made the third Peanuts feature. Oh, yeah. and he didn't get a chance to do a soundtrack with him again. Yeah, for yeah, race, right. race for Your Life's Charlie Brown, so he kind of regretted doing it. But you know what? It's, it's not really that bad, because I wouldn't call no, this it, No, it's not, it's not bad. It's just I, I wouldn't call it commercial. It's just... I think it, that that's it, what he wanted. Yeah. He didn't get that. Instead, he got Art House, which, yeah. you know, it's fine. Shit. It works. <laughs> Ugh. So, I yeah, I, I say definitely check this out. Oh, he used the Sherman Brothers. You know the 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 guys who who write it's a great big beautiful tomorrow <laughs> shining at the end of every day. <laughs> oh, classic Disney. Uh, I'm trying to remember the the animator they used. It was um, Bill Melendez. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. Who uh, came off of uh, uh, Looney Tunes? Yeah. He was one of the later animators on Looney Tunes, and yeah, I actually uh, like his stuff. His stuff is really good. Yeah, he was great, and uh, he he actually died within the last few years. It's too bad. Oh, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, died in two thousand eight. Yeah, sad, but oh my god, he did he did the the Garfield stuff. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, him and uh, Phil Roman. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, what's next on the list, Neil? Number eight. It's Heavy Metal. The original, of course. The original Heavy Metal. This is another (laughs) experimental film. Uh, It's got, I don't know, how many segments would you say? Six or seven? I'd say seven because I think think some of the extra stuff counts. And I'm not going to count, I'm not going to count the the, uh, sports car flying because that's not really a segment. Yeah. And uh, I know some people do, but it's not. Even though that was, that was, uh, that had its own director too, but. It's got nine segments. Yeah. To. Yeah, and each one has this, has its own director, and it's just this it's just this this collection of animation styles that one or two of them doesn't work, but most of them are pretty good. And you have John Candy talking about his dongle. Yeah, <laughs> it's John Candy. Who doesn't love best. that? I mean, <laughs> I love I love the zombie B uh, bomber thing. That that's my favorite one. Well, that song is uh, I can't remember the guy who sang that, but that song is great. And and you have you have you have uh, 
you have all these great musical stars in there. You have uh, you have Black Sabbath. Yeah, the mob rules. And you have uh, you have Keep uh, trick. Devo. Of course, Devo. Grand Funk Railroad. Yeah, you also have one of the members of uh, Fleetwood Mac. What's her name? Uh, Stevie Nicks. Yeah, Stevie Nicks did a song too. Yeah, she did. And- I was I was playing the the song list I was doing for the for the episode when when I was uh, cutting it together, and my cousin was over, and she was like, "Oh, Stevie Nicks, Goat Girl," and <laughs> now every time I hear Stevie Nicks sing, I know what she's talking about because <laughs> she does kind of sound like a goat. Oh, what, you, you don't like Edge of Seventeen, Neil? I'm not saying I don't like it. I'm just saying she kind of does sound like a goat. <laughs> I mean, Rihanna? I think you mean Rihanna. <laughs> I don't hear it, but I don't like Stevie Nicks. So. <laughs> you don't like Fleetwood Mac? I like Fleetwood Mac. I do not like Stevie Nicks by herself. Okay. Yeah. There's a difference. Okay. Well, well Neil likes Black Sabbath without Ozzy. I like well, it with like- Ozzy without Ozzy. Yeah, it's both yeah. good. It's all good. Yeah. Stevie <laughs> Nicks needs Stevie Nicks needs to be with Fleetwood Mac, so she's not like whining all the time. But I like Edge of Seventeen. Oh. Uh, but yeah, heavy metal is, is like it, I I don't consider it an art house choice as much as I consider it like a pulp action choice. Yeah, it's pulp. It's definitely pulp. It's more pulp than art house because it, it, it it's like you have rock and roll, you know, grunge rock and roll, and then you have John Lennon. And saying number nine, number nine, number nine. There's a difference between like you know hard rock and roll and number nine, number. Mm-hmm. Nine. That's the difference. This yeah. may not be an art house choice, but the sequel is definitely a shit house choice. Oh, <laughs> not not built like a shit house choice. It's it's a shit house choice. Yeah. Don't even talk. <laughs> it's it's what goes into the toilet. Yeah, we 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 actually talked to somebody from Heavy Mail Magazine about both films. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Heavy Metal 2000 was just terrible. Well, and the sword, you know, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> and the CGI creature at the end was just no. Was was no. Beast Wars bad? Yeah, it was like it was like a Beast Wars character in this otherwise look- 2D animation cartoon. I'm looking at the cover, and even the cover sucks. Yeah. Yeah, that sword is the fuck 2000. I know. I, I'm trying not to remember this. I sold one once. I didn't anyway. enjoy it. Moving uh, on. Okay. Number seven is, surprisingly, I, yeah, it's the only anime on here. It's Raujin Z. It's also it's also by a director that Neil usually hates. <gasps> yes, but it I is. I love him. Yeah, and the thing is, Akira is one of those one of those movies that is so overrated. My God, it, good it, look, it, it looks good though. It looks Akira it, is Akira is the art house choice. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's not just an art house choice. It I, is the epitome of art house. I, I admit, I admit that it is like like I, that it it gets like shown all the time. It's like this is anime. You know, I remember those yeah. commercials from like you know the nineties, like Japanese animation. The exotic world. And the the streamlined pictures. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the but the thing is, is like it is a good movie, and I actually like like Beautiful Dreamer. It's one of my favorite movies. Like actually, I would say. Oh, Beautiful Dreamer was was the one that got that got the Takahashi pissed off at. Him. I know, and that's part of the reason I love it. It's it's perfect. But, uh, it's where, like, where, where it's Takahashi like, is like, no, nobody moves the plot forward. Not even you. 
But Urza, you know, like, okay, like, it was the, it's like, it's Urza Yatsura, but you don't need to know the characters in order to enjoy the movie. Because I actually watched the movie before I even, like, knew what Urza Yatsura was. And I loved it. And then I found out what Urusei Yatsura was, and I loved Urusei Yatsura. And I, I know, but I, I just love the fact that, you know, Takahashi is so hung up on, you know, keeping the yo-yo relationship going. I hate to throw a wrench in this. Series uh, that... But uh, you're, you're, you're talking about uh, Oshi, and uh, uh, actually Akira, Akira was done by uh, Kats, Katsuhiro Otomo. Otomo, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's it, yeah, talking about two different guys here. And he directed Akira. And he uh but he also directed and produced Raujin Z. And Raujin Z is so much better. Because it's it's not this movie that takes itself so seriously. It's this super computer bed that is supposed to take care of every function of uh an elderly person's uh needs. And the the hospital staff is just like, well, what about his feelings? What about what about his relationships? And the guy's like, well, the robot bed can fulfill all those needs because it, it simulates relationships. And and what this bed ultimately does is it, it becomes his wife. And it it starts grafting things onto itself and starts becoming this giant mech thing. And it's got like, it's got like, like trucks and, and bulldozers and, and, uh, and street signs attached to it. it, it it's really ridiculous by the end. And, <laughs> and it's it is the most ridiculous nonstop action film I have ever seen, and it's it's so beautifully animated, and you know it doesn't it doesn't slow down the way Akira does. It, it's just nonstop insanity. And the dub the dub is great. I have to give a recommendation to the dub as well. Although you know the sub, you know if you if you prefer subs, you can go with the sub. Oh, so, sure sometimes the dub can be good. I haven't ever heard the dub of it. I'm sure it's just as funny. Uh, and this is also... What's what's interesting about this movie is that uh, Carl Masaker usually does localization. He was the the Foley director on this. Oh. He was he was hired by Sony. There's actually a funny interview of him about this movie because he he produced this this huge catalog of sounds for this movie and like had like this 16-track reel and he and he sends it to Japan and he goes, okay, guys... Uh, mix it down to two tracks, and then he goes to Japan and he's watching the film with them, and like all the like almost none of the sounds are there. He, like he'll hear like a, like a pop here and a click there, but like there's no sound. And he he pulls he pulls one of the guys aside. He's like, "Where are all these sounds?" And the guy goes, "Well, you told us to mix it down to two tracks, right?" He goes, <laughs> "Yeah." And the Japanese guy goes, "Well, we picked two tracks." Oh. <laughs> and, and, and he goes, "Wait, wait, you you." You took sixteen tracks and just picked two, and he and he's like he's telling the interviewer he's like this is Sony, <laughs> so he had to show them what he wanted and uh, yeah he basically when when they were recording the dialogue they didn't know how to punch in uh, like if somebody makes a mistake they just rewind the the tape a little bit and re- record from where just before the mistake was made they would go all the way through the scene and then then they'd rewind the tape all the way back to the beginning and do the whole scene again until everyone got the part right. Oh, my and, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he was like, this is ridiculous. This is so inefficient. So he's, like, showing these these Japanese producers how to do a movie while he's there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I should put a link to that interview in, oh. in the show notes. It, it, 
I, I love Carl Masick. I love listening to him talk. Um, I don't think I have anything left for Rao Gen Z, so I'll just... Except, uh, go except to... watch it, bitch. Yeah, watch it, goddammit. <laughs> and uh, moving on to number six, which is Sleeping Beauty. The only Disney choice on here, other than, uh, well, a Pixar choice, but... I, sep- I kind of separate those two studios anyway. And the Sleeping Beauty is one of the two only Disney movies that has a badass prince. Yeah, who actually Woo! kills the villain in the end. And the it's best villain. And he didn't, he didn't ram, ram into it with a boat like at the end of Jaws 4. I mean, uh, Little Mermaid. Oh, yeah. He threw a <laughs> fucking sword at a dragon lady. It was excellent. It was awesome. Yeah. He, 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 he came... To kill the dragon and bleep the girl, and that's what he did. And yep. Maleficent is the scariest goddamn Disney villain of all time. Oh, cursed my. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She cursed a baby to die because she was snubbed at a party invite. <laughs> I know. Okay, she's a little emo, but still. That's, I mean, that's that's well, very just... Well, you know, the, you know the story behind Sleeping Beauty, right? Like, the deal was is that the king actually asked Maleficent to help him beat like the other kingdom, and she did. And the party, at, you know, the party was basically everyone who was there. Is the victory people, party? Was the, it was partly a victory party, and so she was snubbed. And then she shows up, and she's like, "What the hell, dude? I helped you win, and then you treat me like this." And he's like, "Bitch, I don't need you anymore." And she's oh. like, "Okay, okay, he had it coming." But but it should have been to him, not not to the baby. But anyways. Well, I mean, like if you're gonna hurt someone, go after their children. That, that's guess. true, but like I said, anyway, this yeah. prince has, you know, Neil said this was the least developed prince, and I had to remind Neil, what happens when you develop a Disney prince? Oh, yeah. Which one? The the Which... prince in Sleeping Beauty. Prince Badass is what no, I No, I, I, I like the prince in Sleeping Beauty. He doesn't, like, he doesn't really need to be developed. He's just a badass. He shows but... up, he kills the dragon, he gets the girl. But what, yeah, exactly. when you think of an overdeveloped prince, what are you thinking of? A whole new world. Oh, oh, I like it, Aladdin. <laughs> yeah, so do I. I saw it six times in the theater. With Sleeping I'm Beauty, I, I just the animation. This this is the movie that that had them that didn't was actually a bomb. Yeah, it was actually a bomb. Disney had to fire a thousand animators from their staff, and this consequently led to the, that sketchy look that was in a thousand one Dalmatians. Yep. Yeah. This this is when to make up for the loss of manpower, Disney utilized what is now known as a Xerox machine. Back then, was the prototype Xerox machine to speed up in between times. And I like that sketchy style. I, I, I kind of like it too. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I remember watching a documentary about Sleeping Beauty, and every time you see the sparkles come out of the wand, there's some guy painting each and every single Ooh. one of those onto cells, and if they screwed up. They were fucked. They they had to start all over, and oh man, that that had to be a nightmare. And yeah, I can I can understand how it lost oh. money because they just wasted so much time doing like effects like that. Yeah, and, some, some poor women went blind doing all those effects. Yeah, and that's the thing. Most of the people fired, the thousand people fired, were women. Yep, yep. Because like after World, after World War Two, they had all these women animators, and they're like, hmm, time well, to get rid of them. Well, you know what? Let's be honest. If uh, if Sleeping Beauty made gangbusters at the at the box office, they would have stuck around for. A while. Oh yeah, de- definitely. But like, I think that was also partly a, a way to like let's trend, you know, because like also you have to keep in mind that like Disney was still hurting from like 
did like Fanta like Fantasia did a major number on them, and then they weren't doing so hot at that point. Yeah, so. yeah, Fantasia was, and I'm not going to get some emails. Well, hey, Fantasia it, was an art house choice. Well, I mean, it was. It really was just. Walt Disney just wanted to do it. And it's perfectly okay to want to do something like it's like it's like P.T. Anderson, the guy who did Boogie Nights, did Magnolia. Magnolia is a beautiful movie, but it is it is not it was not a success. And it costs so much goddamn money. Yeah. Yeah. Goddamn money. No, no, I'm talking like it was like how many days over budget? It was like like days over like a lot of time. And it was like something ridiculous like a hundred million dollars or something like that but gorgeous as anything but yeah, well you know when you gotta make it rain frogs i mean yeah you know when you call happens. ilm you call ilm to do that and then you're like using special lenses to get special fil- like special effects and oh my god that movie is insane anyway so, uh, uh, Sleeping Beauty is definitely a recommend just to oh, see yeah. the most badass prince in Disney history. Sleeping Beauty is badass the magnolia of Disney. Yes. Prince Badass rides again, prince damn it. Badass. Okay, and we're going to take a little break here. Do you like retro shows? Did you grow up in either the 80s or the 90s? Then tune into Telecast, geekcastradio.com's newest podcast. Join us here on the telecast as we revisit some of your favorite shows, such as Clarissa Explains It All, Salute Your Shorts, Saved by the Bell, and much, much more, only on GeekCastRadio.com. Okay, what's next on the list, Neil? Number five, Clone Wars, Star Wars, but not the one that they released in the theaters. This is the Gendy Tartakovsky version. There was another version? I wasn't aware of that. Well, no, no, I, I am aware of it. I just, oh, I just well, uh, the, the uh, well, you know what? I sing the praises of the Gendy one when we went round against round against Blanchard before. It's one thing I just want to point out is is honestly the the CG Clone Wars series is still going on. Yeah, and it's been how many years after the end of the prequel trilogy? I mean, we already know yeah. he goes fucking evil and, and, and slays the younglings. And, but that, yeah. but that's, and, that's, and, and, that's and, the way you do things now. And, you, and, you, and they, brought him there, they brought him here to kill him and, and the liar okay. and all that. Dude, dude, dude. You do know that they're going to make a prequel to Watchmen, right? So, like, this is a, this is I, a new I thing. I why Alan Moore is so pissed off about that, too. Yeah, right? yeah. And, like, that's the and, new and, thing. And you know, Alan Moore is a is a weirdo snake worshiping, uh, and yes, he really does worship a snake. Anyways, it's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, it's, his beard is awesome. But, but you see what I'm saying? Like this is the new thing. We're gonna put things like in between, sandwiched in between, uh, like things we know. We know the past and we know the future. So why are we focused on this? Except that, oh well. There's plenty of material to write. No, there is. Oh, you won't believe who's going to show up in the uh, in the CG Clone Wars series. Oh God, who? With robot legs. Oh. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. We're going to drive that joke right into the ground yes, on we this. We are. Show. Of course, we are. <laughs> Do not want. Well, I, I just bring it up because he really is coming in. Oh God, no. If, really? if, if you see him on TV, just just remember who takes him out. 
God oh. damn it. That's stupid. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That is, the, that is stupider than the stupidest thing that has ever been said. I'd like that to is, test that theory. No, I'm saying this is stupid. This is, like, really dumb. Like, we know what happens to him. We know what happened to him twice. This is stupid. Anyway, let's get back to the Tartakovsky version because yeah. I don't even con- contemplate this. Yeah. What, what I love this... about this is at the ending of the, of the first part, of the first act, is it has Darth – not Darth. It's, he's not even a Darth. He's not even a Sith. He, he's just General Grievous. You mm. know, he fucking kills the shaggy Padawan and totally owns like four Jedi Master. And it's the most awesome thing ever, and because because he he doesn't have force powers, he just has a robotic body and pure fucking Batman style intimidation. Yeah. yeah. But what's really cool about this is that this is only a movie in the loosest sense. I don't think it's ever been released on DVD as a single volume, but it was shown on Cartoon Network as a movie feature. Yeah. And it totally works as a movie. You could you could actually just take the last. The, just the last ending scene of Attack of the Clones and stitch it onto the beginning of this, and you could just forget about Attack, Attack of the Clones and call mm-hmm. this episode two. Yeah. Because that's how good it is. Yeah, because you have, and yes, there are there's some of that EU higher power level Jedi thing, but you know what? Gendy understands drama, storytelling, oh, yeah, and definitely. characterization. Pacing, pacing. That's that his He understands all these things, so I don't mind that. Yeah. I don't mind yeah. that at all, and I'm the guy that 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 called bullshit on Luke creating four storms that swallows star destroyers in the EU books. Okay, they did release it out on DVD. They released it out on two DVDs. Yes, and uh, Volume One was not available as soon. See, as soon as they announced the George Lucas uh, the second one that doesn't exist, they announced that they took the first one out of circ. They took both volumes out of circulation. Oh, okay. And saying this is no longer this is no longer available from the manufacturer. This is not canon anymore. Yeah, yeah and actually, actually, LucasArts had a guy there that said that actually gave a quote about the the canon of the Tarkovsky series, saying, "Well." It depends entirely on your point of view, and as Star Wars fans, we know what that means. Well, uh, <laughs> if it's no longer in, if it's no longer in print, you know what that means, kids. Well, no, the, whole, the whole the whole point of view thing, the point of view line in 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 Star Wars basically means the first thing you heard is bullshit. Yep. Yeah, yeah I know, and that's what I'm saying. Hey, kids, it's no long it's no longer. Available. It's no longer in print, and it's going for fifty three dollars on Amazon. So, so be ready for be ready for the teeny pop, uh, Ahsoka, Padawan holding her own against uh, General Grievous. Yeah, you know, uh, don't want to think about that. Do not want. Do not want. I really. I. I mean, I saw the trailer for that, and I was just like the the farting ah. the farting uh, poo. The little yeah, the little the little the little hut, and I'm like. Really, really, we're gonna do this seriously? And then you saw the then I saw the director going, "This is the greatest thing ever!" Yay! And I'm like, "Oh God, you got!" I don't want to say what what he is, but oh, but anyway, yeah, but but Gendy, Gendy gets Gendy fucking awesome. gets it. Oh yeah, it was excellent. I love the Gendy version. It's just it's. I mean, I didn't like the prequels at all. In fact, I believe the prequels didn't happen. So. <laughs> Depends yeah, I, on your point of view. 
I, I don't. Yeah, that's my point of view. My point of view is, uh, what was this? This is not Star Wars. But, um, <laughs> but like, I really liked Gendy's version because it actually was like, you know, like back when Star, when I remember my brother was really big into Star Wars, and I kind of got into it a little bit. And I remember him, like, you know, telling me about some of the Clone Wars books that were written. I was always interested in that. And I think Gendy kind of captured what I thought the Clone Wars were kind of like. Like, you know, there's just, like, this endless slogging of fighting. And, like, there's these slow battles. And then there's these creepy new villains and stuff like that. And I really enjoyed it. And I and I think that's the only part of the prequels I actually like. Yeah, Everything and... Uh... And, uh, you know, it's it's just such a weird thing that, uh, that you know, Gendy gets what the epicness of Star Wars is. It's, it's nothing yeah. about, you know, taxations, trade embargoes, uh, delegates. Uh, We're going to uh, fly across the galaxy <laughs> to stop a filibuster. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, we should grant the Chancellor emergency powers. I just threw up a little in my mouth. <laughs> Oh wait, wait. Okay, so the kid, the kids that helped him make Jar Jar Binks, those were the kids of like his second wife, right? Yes. Okay, there we go. Now everything is making sense. <laughs> everything makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah, I think that we should have learned by now that that we should never ask for to have have all these mysteries explained to us. They should just stay mysteries. I remember for years we. We would just wonder what the hell the Clone Wars were. What could this possibly be? Well, and it's just cool. Yeah. One fan theory was the fact that Obi Wan was Obi Wan. Yeah. And then we we saw what it was, and it was like, oh, it, no. Yeah, the mystery is just ruined. And yeah, it was yeah. always cool Tainted. when it was like, yeah, when it was like, ooh, this mysterious thing that we'll it, never know about. I always, I always had the theory that Jedi were like a Freemason society. It's kind of like how in Symphony of the Night, you know, there's a, there's always that one part where in the game where you're like, what 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 is beyond this one point? And then you then you buy the Sega Saturn version and it's like, oh, it's shit. <laughs> we should not ha- ask to have our mystery solved. It, it, it's it's sort of like you know the first Matrix movie was groundbreaking and then they made two more. Well, because you know they stole it, so. Well, that's a that's like a different thing. That. Yeah. You just like, you you mentioned uh, Freemasons earlier. Now I'm totally picturing Alec Guinness at a Moose Lodge. I know. Just wanna, I just want to. Uh, all I'm, bring all I'm thinking about is National Treasure right now. So let's move on. Oh. Well, I, well, you know, with the with, with Star Wars and Gendy, like I said, he he gets it, and there were some great there was some great moments where where. Anakin and uh, Obi Wan really felt like brothers here. That you never get yeah. that feeling in the in the movies. You mean jerk face and and, and I'm just point? here for a paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> I slaughter them like animals. Oh God! I serve the Republic. Oh, the he's holding me back. <laughs> he's jealous of me. Mm-hmm. Oh my! Could I have uh, high ground? Gives me plus five. I can roll perfects. I can roll perfect twelves. God. <laughs> That's what it all boils down to, isn't it? Rolling a perfect twelve. Yeah, and yeah, it. Like I said, I just Jedi powers turn on when the plot needs them. Yeah, it, that high ground didn't help Darth Maul. No, nope. see, Jedi powers turn on when you need them. 
And what I love was just, like I said, there was this real feeling of brotherhood and camaraderie between mm-hmm. the characters in the Gandhi series. Yeah, you had one of my favorite scenes was when Anakin is eating these bugs. I love that scene. <laughs> <laughs> he says, but Master Yoda taught us to always feast off the living force. And he and Obi-Wan's like, that's I don't think that's what he meant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. It's it's just a sign that it's, it's almost it's almost like a younger brother trying to gross out his older brother, but you know, it, it it's just so beautiful because they are because they are so, you know, Bond. You know what? You know what? I think maybe the reason that their relationship is so, like, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Dysfunctional later on is maybe it's a fuck you. Maybe it's a fuck you to the, uh, to Gendy. Like, I don't like what you did. Well, maybe it's the fact that, you know, he slaughtered them like animals for sex. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I slaughtered oh, them like animals. That's not a good. You? Oh, that's you know, that's not, a, not a pretty picture. I, I tried that once, and I got a drink thrown in my face. It doesn't work. Oh. <laughs> Joking aside, uh, another great scene I love from this is, oh, there's so many, but there's one thing that shows how Gendy understands foreshadowing. Yeah. Better than all of them. Ghost hand. Ghost hand. Fucking ghost hand. Ghost hand. <laughs> it's, the, it's with the uh, Nilvani... <laughs> you know the Nelvons. Yeah, the Nel. Yeah. The uh, where the, all the males are taken, and uh, and they have a prophecy about Ghost Hand. Oh yeah, yeah. It it's just one of the greatest scenes ever. Is where Anakin has to take a tribal drug and and go into the cave. <laughs> yeah, and and they they cover him with like blue slug slime, and they're like, "Look, a new action figure for the toy line." And yep. but actually, he has this vision. Um, of ultimately his fall. <clears throat> Wait, Ghost yeah. Hand is that like is that like in Evil Dead Two? No. Uh, <laughs> no. Well, no. It's groovy. It's, it's the scene where where Anakin crushes <laughs> the the crystal that powers this evil uh, this evil uh, laboratory that the that Darth Sidious is using and destroys okay. the robot. And and the crystal I believe is also the same crystal that powers the lightsaber. Yeah. It, All right. What happens is. His robot hand is destroyed and all he has is a stump, and he's pissed off because of what these scientists did to to these male Nelvons. You know, turned them into to hulking monsters. So he points his stump at them and force crushes their throats, and it shows it. Yeah. Oh, so it's a phantom limb. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it, it's or, just it, well, it, not well. It's phantom this, limb, not, not from Venture Brothers. No, it's this image. It's this, it's this powerful image of him pointing his, yeah. his stump and then force crushing these scientists, killing them horribly in animation on Cartoon Network before before Adult Swim's time slot. Well, the, to be to be fair, it was that one that one alien racer. They're just basically they look like they look like Moltar because you don't actually see what they look like. They yeah, they have the so, mask on so and they kinda, he crushes kinda... his throat and his eyeballs pop out of his head, Neil. Yeah, but, but, you know, it's kind of like robots. That's a little you raw. Robots. There's fun. That's, that's a little raw. That's why Transformers are awesome. You could kill robots. Yeah. But, yeah, Ghost Hand, fucking great. And, you know. <laughs> that guy took it raw. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, it's just that imagery, that, that raw imagery of someone who gets it, who's, who says, okay, Anakin has a robotic hand. How do we use this for an imagery of his fall? Ghost Hand. Ghost. Yeah, sure. Why not? 
And what's next? Sure. Up, you know? Come on over. Stay a while. Um, actually, I wanted to do my favorite scene, which was uh, they're about to, to storm this room that's filled with like the the androids, and uh, and o- and Obi Wan goes, "Wait!" And he whips out these little marbles that explode, and he just force pushes them into the room, and and uh, and uh, Anakin goes, "That's no fun." <laughs> they they cheated. Yeah, they cheated. And then the next scene, they're just kind of walking away and letting the uh, the clones take care of things. But, uh, yeah, I, I thought that was kind of funny because he, he was just he was all ready to attack and he, he didn't get to slaughter anything. So he's kind of blue-balled in a sense. Yeah, <laughs> somewhat. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, number four is Batman and Mr. Freeze Sub-Zero. Over Mask of the Phantasm, I might note. Yeah, um... It's not. It's not that I dislike Mask of the Phantasm. I just, you know, I I love Mark Hamill, but you know, I can only take so much Joker. And Mister Freeze. Aww. No, no, I'm not. I'm not dissing the no, Joker. No, no, I'm sorry. I gotta say all because I love Joker. Anyway. Yeah, but but Mister Freeze is one of those characters that came into his own under Bruce Tim, and before he was just kind of this. He was a jewel thief with a cold. Yeah, he was motif. a jewel thief, and under Bruce Tim, they they made him this tragic villain. And this was like the culmination of that whole story with, with his wife. And I think now it's been a while since I've seen it. Uh, I used to watch it all the time, and I, I'm having trouble remembering what it was about. But I think what it was is that Barbara Gordon had the same blood type as uh, Nora Freeze. Yes, it was. And, and, and so was... they kidnapped they kidnapped uh, Barbara Gordon uh, without realizing that she was Batgirl, obviously. <laughs> and uh, great job. Yeah. And yeah. this is one of the few movies that it's, it showed a zip code in a scene where the uh-huh. one where they were looking up people that were donors and they, they showed a zip code that was a New York City zip code and lots of fans squealed. Oh, really? Oh, yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go back and watch that now. You're not just bringing that up to, to further win the argument that uh, Teen Titans does not take place in the same No, it, I'm not bringing it up for that. I'm bringing it up to, to give the interesting point of view that, you know... That Gotham and Metropolis are both names that New York City had. You know, yeah. New York was called the Gotham City and the Metropolis. So, uh, <laughs> for people that do not know that, that that's absolutely true. That it's basically both cities. Yeah, they just have to, you know. Yeah, like one is. Yeah, like one is like the uh, the ritzy part of New York, and the other is like the uh, not so nice part of New York. But uh, yeah, anyway, Sub Zero. Yeah. What about is... Spider Man though? That's that was that's New York too, isn't it? But that's yeah, yeah but that's, that's in Marvel. In Mar- Marvel. Yeah. yeah, but Marvel New York bugs the hell out of me because it's like ninety percent of their superhero population lives there, and they still have a high. Well, most of the writers are from New York, so it's kind of like how in most video games the lighting looks like California because most of the programmers are from California. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Sub Zero also had you know. As everyone knows, uh, you know most most t- Bruce Tim animated features have a very or- orchestral soundtrack. This one is a little bit different. There's a lot of jazz in this. Mm-hmm. There's actually a lot of jazz in this. It's actually quite interesting. And yeah. I love this movie, but there is some bad CG in the beginning of it. Yeah, it's that it's that damn submarine. Yeah, but it didn't. It didn't really take me out that much because it wasn't like you saw it all throughout the picture. It no, just... it, it was it was one shot and only one shot, but it was still bad. I, uh, I, I, I imagine there there were some time constraints, or else Bruce Tim would have kicked that sucker back. Yeah, they could have just. I wonder if they could have just re-edited the scene and not had that one shot. 
they might have been able to edit around it, but I'm guessing that there were some time constraints. Not to mention that this was a direct to uh, VHS film because yeah. sadly, Mask of the Phantasm was a bomb. Yeah, it's true. yeah. Well, they didn't advertise it. And... I only saw one TV commercial ever for it. Yeah. But yeah, Mask of the Phantasm was a bomb. Was in select theaters. Wasn't released nationwide like it should have been. Well, it was. It was. They just never gave it any love, and I don't know why. Except yeah. that maybe they were like, I don't know. And uh, sub. But the, like animation, was, animation was pretty much screwed back then, if I remember. And and Sub Zero was <sighs> much better because as a as a VHS only release. Oh yeah. They were able to get more. To it, and uh, I don't think there was any TMS in this. I think this was all Don Yang. Hmm. So it, while while uh, while uh, Mask of the Phantasm was Don Yang and TMS teaming up together, so so I think that was part of how they were able to save some costs because they they went pretty much all all Don Yang, and uh, basically they treated this as a, as a, as a longer episode versus trying to do a whole movie thing with it. You know. Now I do remember they had some fairly decent. CGI in it because wasn't wasn't the Batwing at least the Batwing uh, CGI parts of it were it it was yeah. it wasn't a hundred percent it wasn't hundred percent all the time but there was just yeah. like one or yeah, two yeah it it was mostly Dong Yang and that was it there was no TMS yeah yeah Dang. yeah Dong Yang it's a Dong Yang it's a, I'm, Dong Yang I'm, I'm trying to pronounce it the way you're supposed to it but <laughs> I'm told I have an accent anyways when I speak Korean so yeah and what I love about this movie is that I think it, it came out like a year after Batman and Robin, and it was—it's just night and day. It's it basically the same, the same basic premise, but Bruce Tim did such—he did so much a better job than what uh, than what Joel Schumacher did. I mean, I, 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 I can't even watch those last two live-action Batman movies. They're just awful. <laughs> you don't, you don't have Mister, you don't have. Yeah, you don't have Mr. Freeze saying all those corny lines. Yeah, I still see you. Ice oh, and at the end of you. at the end of the movie, oh my god, I I almost threw my drink at the at the screen and stormed out just because. Uh, at at the end, um, Bruce Wayne uh, fixes Nora Freeze off off scene and and no 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 before that he's like he's like you you have you have this this cure for something that a friend of mine has and. It can't cure your wife, but it, it can cure my friend. And and uh, and Mister Freeze pulls out these these two vials, and he goes, "Here, take two of these." And just just off the cuff, I go and call me in the morning. And then and then, sure enough, Arnold Schwarzenegger goes and call me in the morning. And I'm like, "Come on, come on!" I was kidding. I know. It's just it's so painful. <laughs> I'm like, I was kidding. Why why did you do that? Because Schumacher is weird. Oh God! What was you know, the last thing that he's done recently? He he did a movie with Anthony Hopkins and Chris Rock once. That's the last one I know about. Bad Company. Sounds about right. No, that's the name of the movie. No, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It it seems very apropos. <laughs> I I love how he kept on saying he wanted to do a dark Batman film. I'm like, dude, you had your chance. It's over. Yeah, and he did. Yeah. He did dark. It's... Oh my God, he's a weird look. Have Have you ever seen a picture of him? He looks yes. weird. Yes, he. Yeah. yeah. And, oh. uh, you know, Lost Boys. <laughs> he did Lost Boys. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's a. You know what? It's. Trust I, me. I, I, I'm, I'm resisting the urge to make a joke. 
because I know, you know, I, I really don't have a problem with it, but oh my god, it's Joel Schumacher. Oh my god. Neil, can I please say it? Say what? Joel, we know you're gay, and we're okay with it. Just just just, just stop putting in the movie so much. Oh, that's fine. The nipples on the costume, is that what that's it was? Fine. The nipples and the crotch. Oh, well that was it. That was just that was just stupid. <laughs> like the, the nipples on the costume like what? Really? That's very. It, you gotta admit, it's very village people. Well, yeah, but it was. It was he, like it was. He, he, like, he put he put nipples on everybody else except for the girl. Oh yeah, yeah well, it's it's like, very it's girl. it's very village people. You know, if you're gonna be a nipple offender, be an equal opportunity nipple offender. God damn it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, come on. It, you don't have to give the areola. You could just you know, just just, just some points. Yeah, that'd be fine. Or at least you know some some triangle tits. That'd be nice. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, they did. They did cast Lisa Silverstone. I mean, they, you know, it could have been worse. They could have. Uh, yeah. They could have. They could have cast uh, someone and like not... put her in a potato sack, and you know, <laughs> she was. Yeah, they could have got Sean Young. You know, Sean Young was so pissed off she was not cast as Catwoman in the in the uh, Tim Burton Batman Returns. She was so pissed off. Who who was Sean Young? Okay. <laughs> she was so pissed off, she showed up on a talk show in her own makeshift PVC Catwoman outfit. <laughs> nice. And yeah, what thinking, what movies has really she like, made since then? That's why you aren't hired anymore. She was an Ace Ventura after that. Yeah. I don't oh, think yeah. anybody remembers. Yeah. <laughs> Where she had something extra. Oh, oh no, my she God. was on, um, she was oh on uh, one of those um, Dr. Drew shows. The, I think yeah. she was on Celebrity Rehab recently. Joel, Joel Schumacher directed DC Cab. Oh my god. Really? That explains everything. That it does <laughs> explain everything. Because I saw, uh, what's his name, Bill Maher mentioned that recently, and I was like, oh my god, I had forgotten about that. Uh. Number three, Neil, quick. Yeah, let's go, like... let's go on. We gotta, we gotta move on, because like... Yeah. Okay. Number three is Toy Story. The very first full-length uh, CGI feature movie ever. And what I love is you have Pixar that, that says, okay, most skin textures we do looks like plastic. Toys! Yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. And, and what I love is they, they took, they they picked Tom Hanks for Woody because they were using as a test footage, you know, test audio for animating footage of the, of the cowboy toy. They were... Uh, they were using uh, from, uh, was it uh, Turner and Hooch? Uh, Turner Hooch, yeah. Yeah, they were using audio from Turner and Hooch. And they were like, this He's is like, great. oh, you stupid dog. <laughs> and they were like, this is great. Let's call Tom Hanks. Yeah. And, in fact, there's even a scene in the movie where the, where the dog is uh, chasing after the race car. And he's, he's screaming at the dog, and it sounds like he's screaming at Hooch. <laughs> and what I love is the scene where they freak the hell out of that bully kid. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, that is <laughs> the head spins around. That it makes me laugh every time. Yeah, we toys can see everything. <laughs> <laughs> that movie, the movie was just so good. It was just, yeah. I mean, I had not seen like a good like that was during the the dearth of like Disney. It was right after Lion King, and then they released Pocahontas. Yeah. And oh. this was this was a real animator's animation film. Yeah, because well, they were they were slipping like little little quick you know facial expressions in there that you probably could not catch maybe the first ten times you saw it. 
Oh, no. Like there's and... a scene where they're first lost, and Woody is trying to get Buzz to hop into the Pizza Planet truck, and he's telling Buzz about how the Pizza Planet truck is going to take him home, and right as he says that, he makes this outrageously hilarious face that I cannot possibly describe, so I'm just going to put it in the show post for uh, for the listeners. Mm. It, it's the... It's the funniest goddamn thing I see in the whole movie. Didn't, didn't they? Didn't they capture a lot? Like, look at their like facial expressions when didn't they do the uh, voice acting first? So they were able to of capture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. So like, they were able to. They were actually doing it the correct way. Yeah. Which is, you should let the actors do it first, and then try to mold it around like their facial expressions and stuff. Yeah. Then you don't end up with like dead, dead faces. <laughs> mean like a certain other Tom Hanks movie? Yeah, well, oh. yeah, or like a, a certain other uh, production company that puts out the goofy face on everything. Oh, <laughs> the DreamWorks face. Yeah. Which I, which I've now figured out is the Mike Myers face. It's the Mike Myers mugging face. Ugh. Oh wow! It, now it all makes sense because I was like, why the hell is the face in everything? And then I realized when they wrote Shrek. When they did Shrek, I think they molded a lot of the facial expressions on Mike Myers. Actually, it was originally based off of uh, Chris Farley until he sadly died. Well, but but look at look at Shrek's smile, and then go look at Mike Myers' face, yeah. and compare Mike Myers' face to every single. I don't even drink. have to. And you I, I, see, I it. see it. You know that you know that Mike Myers cost that company like hundreds of thousands of dollars because he decided. One day after they had like forty percent of the audio, you know, Shrek should have a Scottish accent. Oh god. Yeah, well, I don't know I mean, what it is with him and and Scotsman. He ha- like he has such a Scottish. fetish. He's got Scottish oh, really? blood, so that's why. I mean, it's oh. the only it's the only real character voice he has, other it's than like such a fetish with him. It's like it's always yeah. got to be like some sort of weird accent, and it's like, yeah. and even yeah. like with with um when. You know, when they were doing Wayne's World, he didn't sound like, like, uh, you know, like he was from Chicago or or Aurora, Illinois. It doesn't matter. That movie is doesn't sound Midwestern. He sounded Canadian. Of course he does. And it doesn't matter because Wayne's World's perfect anyway. That's true. I can tell you from my own personal experience, Aurora does not look like that. No, it's not. You you don't want to go to Aurora. Aurora people drive around in the middle of the night jamming to Bohemian. No. no. You don't want to drive through Aurora in the middle of the night. <laughs> Especially not jamming the Bohemian? No. no. Let's move on to number two. The Secret of Nim. Woo! Secret Gotta get the- some Don Bluth in there! Yeah. And, and Bluth at, at his prime. Yeah. Yep. Fresh off of Disney, fresh off of the one scene he did in Fox and the Hound, and... Isn't yeah, this, this was... where they um isn't isn't this where they got they got the idea for secret of secret of um what well, or secret of men isn't that where they got it from from children of men? No, no. Uh, this is, didn't this they is about... see this and be like, a, hey, I'm gonna do that, but with people. What's that? It's a it was based on a book. Yeah, um, yeah, the the, the uh, mice of uh, or was it the ra- mice or the mice? It was it was the, the, the uh, something something yeah. Mrs. Frisbee. Like, yeah, Mrs. Frisbee and the rats and them is that what it's called? Yes. Yes, and yeah. uh, and what it's about is these are high, higher than usual intelligent rats. This is in, in the in the book, and there is no magic in the book. Yeah, yeah, that was all added later. And 
that... and and there's no society where it's like if you, it's illegal that if you get pregnant, so it's not like children of men at all. Yeah, which I thought children of men wasn't that wasn't that the one with like no one could get pregnant? Wasn't yeah, that Clive, it was Clive Owen yeah. in that movie? Yeah, yeah. Like, and then then the, in the movie it wasn't because like you couldn't get pregnant. It was that no one could get pregnant. And then there yeah. was one pregnant woman, and he had to protect her. And they. And I actually liked that movie. That movie was really good, and the, the action scenes in that were really damn good. I think like, someone I, should start a rumor that they stole ch- uh, Children of Men from Secret of Nim. Well, like the, because the guy that really got really high and watched that movie is like, I'm gonna do a movie like that, but with people. I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't see the connection really between Secret and M and Children of Men. But I, I, I'm all, it. I'm all for, I'm all for fucking with people. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Well, someday uh, we'll find it that rainbow connection. No, no, no. no. <laughs> anyways, anyways, I, this I movie is indeed. That. I fan- did see it. I just don't remember it that well. Anyways, this movie is indeed fantastically it, animated. This, this is before, this is before uh, Bluth. Uh, Really went experimental or really got pissed off because well uh, more more well, more like he sold he had to sell out because unfortunately you know he pissed off Disney and that was really hard to come off of I mean in my opinion the only like I like Secret of Them but I got to say the best thing that he's ever done was probably Dragon Slayer and unfortunately yeah. it's a video game yeah so. but uh, like I said if you look at if you look at Blue's career. And you understand what's going on behind it. You really understand the man better because uh, Seeker and Nim, uh, Land Before Time, and uh, uh, you know American Tale is all in his golden age. Well, like yeah. I was watching American Tale the other day, and I was like, I don't know why I liked it as a child. I did not like the story at all. I hated the story altogether. But the animation—it was beautiful. Oh. And and to me, to, what what proves it to me is. Is when he did Thumbelina, which is not his best work, I have to admit. But he did a test with his with, with his screenings that proves a lot of things. He 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 aired two different cuts, and there was only one change in both cuts. The first cut he showed was the one that was that he he actually released where he had at the beginning Don Bluth presents, and people mm-hmm. were like, oh, that was all right. The second oh, yeah, one he changes yeah. it to Walt Disney presents, and people were like, oh, this is great. <laughs> it's the same yep. fucking movie. And oh my Bob god! Dobbs like, God damn it! Oh, oh my god! The covers for his movies have gotten progressively worse over the years. Because I saw the yeah. Anastasia one the other day in Target, and I was like, that does not do that that movie any justice. I mean, it's yeah. not one of his best, but it's like, god damn! Yeah. They just got yeah, in, the 80s, in the eighties, they had all these beautiful like uh, airbrushed yeah. paintings yeah. that. For all the like movies, and they don't use them for the DVD cover. And now, it's like, very now, some, now they use some like now they use something that looks like it, I, something I did in Photoshop in five minutes. Well, because yeah. that is what happened. They got someone to do a cover in Photoshop in five minutes. Cause... So did you need some anesthesia to, to see that Anastasia cover? Uh. Oh. Oh God. Oh. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> anyway, you you said that you got experimental later, but I think this movie was. One of his most experimental pieces, because well, I mean, yeah, uh, I mean the yeah, sparkles, the yeah, the sparkles, all, all the lighting, the all that shit paint. where, all that shit where they would put the light behind the cell and make it look like stuff uh, was glowing. That was all new. Yeah, that had I never know. been done before. Yeah, and, but I, I know, but like I said, when when I look at it, when I look at his career and see what he's done, I think the Anastasia, not the Anastasia, I think the Thumbelina thing, it was the biggest kick in the balls in his whole career. Yeah. 
when when he realized that yeah, people cared more about the brand name than the product. Yeah. And, well, and... <laughs> well, I mean, people always do that. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I know, there's... but he had he had great early success with like like Secret and Nim, you know, American Tale, Land Before Time were huge. But 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 the um, thing is, is that you have to keep in mind with American Tale and Land Before Time. People actually thought that was Spielberg because Spielberg put his name on that, and like yeah. they know it was Don Bluth. People, if you ask people who who is Don Bluth, they have no freaking clue. That's yeah, true. that's a shame. And that's and why fact, that's that's the that's the tragedy of Don Bluth. It's and that, in fact, it's, this movie did not do so well. No, it did not. And part of it was that it came out at the same time as E.T. Oh, and they were like, yeah. "Fuck." And that's why that's probably why he latched on to Spielberg as much as he did because he was like, yeah. "I'm gonna get." Some I'm gonna get this movie out, but it's sad. Don Bluth is like, like I watched the the Don Bluth like interview with, for Dragon Slayer, and it's like that guy is so cool, and like he is a forgotten man, and it shouldn't be. It should not be. But uh, let's move it on is. to number one, another well, giant. Well, I'm not. Well, I barely talked about this movie. Okay, okay, I'll leave <laughs> it. Sorry, sorry. Well, the the one thing I was, I'm gonna go back to the magic is that. They added this. They added this thing in the movie. It was this, this, the glowing Dusex Machina that they just threw in there. And at the end, of course, she she finds it. She grabs it, and it lights up. And then you hear the touch and <laughs> to light but, our darkest hour. Oh, yeah, and she damage. she lifts she lifts the rock, and it saves her children. And uh, well, another thing is that the character Jenner. I think in the book he was a, mi- a very minor character, and he got kind of elevated to the main villain. And there was this great sword fight at the end between uh, Jeremy. Was that the name of the the, the male rat? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was a great fight. And uh, you, had, you had the henchman who turned on him at the last minute. And uh, yeah, it was just God. I, I want to watch this movie right now. <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually thinking the same thing here, dude. I'm yeah. like I, I need to see that again. I mean, yeah. it is his best his best movie now. Best animation. <laughs> Dragon Slayer, sorry, Daphne, god damn it. Oh, yeah. Oh, you'll get no argument from from us on this show. Yeah. Uh, oh. Anyway, yeah, sorry, anyway. before I go into a Daphne coma. And, you know, we talked about a lot of greats in animation. We Number one for Neil is, of course... Brad Bird's The Iron Giant. Woo! Brad Bird is, is, is the up-and-coming... I think he's already a giant, but... Oh, he's a giant, and, I mean... Most people know him for uh, the Incredibles, Incredibles, yeah, and for directing Mission Impossible Four, and uh, <laughs> and and for doing several episodes of The Simpsons. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. He, that's right. He did. Yeah, he kind of rose to the top with uh, with being a very, a very background guy. I mean, he's not really well known. Well, for a but while, that's he, Pixar for that's Pixar for you. They give they give a, they give people chances. Yeah, this movie. This is like. Uh, Warner Brothers' closest uh, attempt at like doing a true Disney-style movie, but there are no princesses. There's 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 no prince to slay the bad guy. In <laughs> fact, there really isn't there really isn't a villain except for like the bureaucrat guy, and, uh, and, there, and he was just a bumbling idiot. And there's no the villain doesn't trip to his death. Yeah, it's yeah, missing he, all of the classic Disney tropes. Yeah, the anti-Disney movie. Yeah. And the animation is beautiful, and the the CG, you know, integration it, is near freaking seamless. And yeah. for the time, I would say 
damn good. Yeah. yeah, they actually added an algorithm in in the program to make the lines, you know, have mistakes, so it would look like it's hand drawn. That's awesome. Because the thing you can do is ask a computer to make, you know, uh, organic mistakes. But that's really hard, you know. Like as as the uh, wife of a roboticist, I know that like teaching the computer to do little tasks like that is like months of work. That was people. back when that was back before they had uh, they had quad cores too. Yeah, well, I mean, they had some supercomputers back then, but I mean, it still was like, okay, let's see if it works. Let's let's see if the let's com- let the computer compile it, and we'll see how it goes. Fuck, we gotta go back and do it again. No. And yeah, Brad Bird gets it. I mean, every time he's thrown at a genre, he gets it. Well, how about some of the cast choices? I mean, Harry Connick Jr., awesome. Uh, Vin Diesel, this is, I think this is Vin Diesel's best movie. Yeah. He was in that? I don't know. Yeah, he was the giant. Yeah, he was the giant. Oh, my God, that's oh, excellent. Man. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, yeah. Because he's, he's got that really low uh, tremble to his voice, and it, it just works as this giant mechanical <laughs> yeah. monster. And Jennifer Aniston as the mother. I would never have thought that Jennifer Aniston would be good in a cartoon, but she was. Well, she that's, was, that's great voice directing. That, that, yeah, that's and, yeah. and that's the thing. You know, some of these names were probably picked for for marquee value, but at the same time, you know, if you have a great voice director, you get great performances out of people. Well, any director can get a good performance out of anyone. I mean, yeah. But voice acting, I mean, I did not know that those two were in that, and that's wow. Yeah, but. Damn. Like, but I remember hearing something from uh, the Spumco guys about how, you know, if you got someone who who uh, would get starstruck with whoever was in the sound booth, you, you would have this great actor, but you'd get this kind of lame performance because they were too afraid to direct them. Like, See this, Disney, Disney yeah, adaptations of uh, there's this, Ghibli movies. Yeah, there's this one, um, there's this one games animation uh, episode of, of Ren and Stimpy where they had uh, Rosie O'Donnell. Rosie O'Donnell, yeah. and there's a couple scenes in that where her acting does not match the intensity of the animation at all, mm-hmm. and it's because the director, you know, was kind of, kind of like we have Rosie O'Donnell and didn't really do anything with her. Yeah, it's uh, you know my favorite example of this is the Yogi Bear example because it's just a, such an example of of you know Dan Aykroyd was terrible as Yogi. And nobody had yeah. the courage to tell him to do it right. Well, yeah. well, Justin Timberlake also picked for Marquee Value was gold. Yeah, Justin well, Timberlake. Well, Yo- Yogi Bear was meant to just lose money. Yeah. Let's be honest here. Justin Timberlake, if you're listening to this, you can be boo-boo from now until eternity. <laughs> you, you have our permission. I think that what they should just do instead is just 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 supply the celebrity voice actors with massive amounts of alcohol yeah and just let him do a drunk or acid. i want to see let's a drunk yogi acid. bear i mean well, let's somebody let's, cue let's that back, bud let's go back to the, 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 the <laughs> <laughs> i knew the old will get that joke 
let's go back to the spirit of Hanna Barbera. Just give them acid, and we'll see what happens. Maybe we'll have a movie. Yeah, exactly. Maybe we'll have them all kill each other. I don't know. Either way, it'll be entertaining. Isn't, isn't that more Sid and Marty Croft, though? No, 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 honey. Like if you see some of the Hanna Barbera shit, like like Batman and Robin stepping through the screen to join the uh. Super friends are like, okay. we'll be right over, and they walk right through the screen. <laughs> I mean, my theory is oh, everyone, okay. everyone in America was on drugs until 1980. That's my theory. Because like, well, what about what does that make Croft then? Is that like psilocybin or is it peyote or mescaline? It was everything. Well, okay, let's sure. just throw everything in. And we'll 1985 it. was the Hangover, right? Yeah, and that's when everything began to suck. I mean, and then they did the the All Stars. No, no drugs ever. Yeah, and that's when things began to when when the drugs started getting out of people's systems. That's when everything just you know began to suck. And that was around. Throw everybody in the same. Don't do that. Yeah, I can't recommend Iron Giant hard enough. I mean, it's such a good movie. Yep. And and you can listen to our review of that with uh, Ben Heck. Yeah, who we will get back on the show sooner or later. But yeah, that. That movie is one of those movies where they they throw in this. I, I'm going to call it cheesy, but goddamn, it just rips your heart out anyway. It's, the the giant is going after the missile and he's flying up, and you hear this you hear this voice over the kid going, "You could be what you want to be," and then he goes, "Superman." And if you don't if you don't tear up just a little, you have no soul. <laughs> Robot. So this was Neil's top ten. Animated movies. Yeah. Very good choices, Neil. I have to yeah. commend you for that. Nope. Very good. And hopefully this episode won't go in the toilet like the what? last attempt did. <laughs> I'm crossing my fingers as hard as I can. All right. Uh, I am your host, Ben. And she is Miss Real. And Kitty Hawk of SGBY.com. Visit it for sexy fun. And I'm Stephanie, and I do Perfect Agent. Woo! And there's pretty ladies shooting people in the head. It's perfectagentcomic.com. And we're saying goodnight. Night! Goodbye. Emerging from the dark humor that was the Beast Unleashed podcast, Steve Megatron, TFG1 Mike, Pecan Court Michael, and the Cybertronian correspondent Optimus Solo move on to Transformers Animated with Transformation Animation Podcast. 20 episodes covering all three seasons of the cartoon, the books, and the awesome toy line. We'll also have cast and crew interviews, so get tapped with GCRN's next Transformers franchise podcast. Transformation Animation Podcast, available on iTunes and the web at www.geek.com. Castradio.com. Get your tap on. Decepticons, transform and rise up. The following is an extended outtake from the show. Like the whole thing was that, like, uh, you know, Mark Wahlberg's character was trying to, you know, break into music. Yeah. And he was recording a demo, and that was the song. It was, it was the touch. That was his demo song. Because it's an and, awesome song. You know what? Mark Wahlberg's rendition is better than the update. That Stan Bush did called Sam's theme. Oh, no. What happened was Stan Bush has this thing where he really wants to be in a Transformers movie. He has like this hard on for it. And what he did was he changed the sound of the touch to sound like, by his own words, like Linkin Park. Oh, no. You got the touch. Why?
Why? Why would you want to sound like Linkin Park? Uh, because you suck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's all I can come up with. I'm sorry. Blanchard's typing an email right now. Yeah. God damn it! <laughs> yeah, yeah, Blanchard, Blanchard uh, challenges us on this because he, he has no defense to this, but uh, yeah, this is the rap version. <laughs> what is this? I know, what is this? Except, oh, graphic, man. Is this a sketch? No, this is real. These guys are, wait a minute, these guys are... This is, this oh, is God. ridiculous. I thought this was like a parody oh, no. or something. No, no, this is real. Oh my god, no, this is not real. This, this is, is not This is real. This is terrible. Where did he get this where did he get this made at? I wonder. Like at a mall. Oh, oh my god. Or... Oh my god, it's got like it's like rated like four stars. Three and a half stars on iTunes because like three people like liked it. Well he got star power, use it. God damn it. Oh, I yeah, I could I could totally like say this sucks, but I don't even want to care. I mean, you deserve it if you buy it. <laughs> I mean, what the hell? This is like worse than some '80s shit. Like, as far as like cutting him in. Like, I mean, there's like gaggies all around them. What the hell? Why aren't they CG? Also, why aren't they CG? This is this is like they should be CG because like everything behind them is CG. You hear that Shia got Shia got beaten up recently, and someone yelled, "Where's Bumblebee now?" <laughs> 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 well, what, oh. he, what, what happened when he's beating me up? Was, was he saying his most famous movie line? No, 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 no. <laughs> well, you know that what, what's you happened is, is he's in this new movie, and this new movie, I guess, apparently sucks. And he's been getting drunk every single night and going to this one bar, just getting wasted. Well, <laughs> he apparently got in a fight with someone, and he just got his ass handed to him. And, like, then someone yelled that. I mean, I feel sorry for the guy, because, like, at this point, he's, like... He's been in so many bad movies. I feel yeah, but that's Stan Bush. That's Stan Bush. You know, he he has how many records now, Neil? Oh, he has he has plenty of records. But my arg uh, now that we're actually talking about this in the show, I might as well just say it. Uh, the fact that he releases so many number of records doesn't really mean anything because one of my favorite bands is a band called Chastain, and Chastain is a group that does not tour. Uh, they don't practice really during the year. Basically, they get together like once a year, record an album, and then they go back to the regular job. So, recording a lot of music does not mean it's your career. It just means that you know you have the resources to hop into studio every now and then. Yeah. And I don't, I don't see that that Stan Bush has much of a career unless he has just some sort of career like Hasselhoff, where he's really big in another country. It's like where, oh, where, Germany, huge. Who, who is who is buying all these Stan Bush albums? People who love Dare and Touch. He has a, he has a Stan Bush room. I mean, I love the Touch and I love Dare. Dare to believe Dare you can't survive. Something, something, something. Yeah. At the end of our Transformers episode, I put on a, a huge medley of like uh, music from the movie. I I put in Dare. I did not put in the Touch. Well, you know what? The all the, the music, awesome. all the music was like ninety. 90- Eight percent Vince DiCola, anyways. Yeah. Oh my God, yeah. she he did a he did a version. She's got the power. He sang that in the American Sailor Moon. Yep. <gasps> I forgot about that. Yeah. It, oh my God. Okay, Excellent. here's a link that is not quite a palate cleanser, but I just remembered that this existed. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, I remember this. <laughs> he said the power. Yeah. It's just it, some guy doing a parody of the punch and just sucking Michael Bay's dick. <laughs> well, you know what? That's what Stan Bush did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> God. Even though he shouldn't, because I'm sorry. Like, I really, I really like Dare, and and he got the touch. It, you know what? This is how, this is the comparison I make about about Stan Bush and the Touch and the Transformers movies is Stan Bush is like your ex girlfriend that finds out what your current girlfriend looks like, changes her hair to look like your current girlfriend's hair, comes and says, "Hey, I changed my hair. Can we have a fling again?" No, it's it's like a woman who doesn't realize. Look, you were hot back then, and and you know what? I, I still remember that. You're pretty awesome. You don't have to change. But that's the thing. He did change to look like the current people. I know. I know. And, like, that's just pathetic. I'm sorry, dude. You, you, I love Dare, and I love Touch. Don't, don't, don't. Don't do anything that sucks, please. One last thing I got to throw in here before we move on to the next movie is oh, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Dare is technically not a Stan Bush song. It's a Vince DiCola song. Yeah, yeah, and they had, there's, I actually, actually heard a demo version of it where it's not Stan Bush singing it. It was Gary Falcone. That's oh, a much okay. better name than Stan Bush. Yeah, and I, and I discovered this, uh, from the Invader Zim DVD box set, because they had Gary Falcone on there, and they were like, Gary did Transformers the movie. I'm like, he did? Because I'd never heard of him before. And yeah, he was the original singer. He was going to be singing the song before they got Stan Bush. Did you say it sounded better? I wouldn't say it sounded better. It just... uh... Oh, good, because that Blanchard would kill you if you did. What I remember is one guy that was at BotCon said that, you know, he was at the booth right next to Stan Bush's booth, and Stan Bush started by playing the touch. And then the whole day, as the day went on, guess what song Stan Bush played? All throughout the day. Yep. Oh my god. So he's like the one-hit wonder of Transformers fandom. But but you can be a one-hit wonder, and then we'll still love you, and we'll bring you to the con, and and you'll be awesome. And and the guy tweeted, I've just been touched by Stan Bush. (laughs) been touched by Stan Bush. So, Neil, move on. Yes, let's move on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel like we're, we've been talking about Joe Esposito. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 